This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Good to see everyone, even in my mind's eye as I'm thinking about Maple Grove, Elk River, Spring Lake Park. I'm also thinking about hundreds of locations that the church has gathered together. Welcome, and I'm so excited about what God is doing because the best truly is still ahead of us. Even when we feel a little bit overwhelmed and what's going to happen, I want you to know that the best truly is still yet to come. And we're beginning a brand new series that we had already planned called For. Did you know that God is for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. God is for us, but also we can be for the communities around us. And uh, and I'm excited. I'm kind of detouring a little bit with today's message because I'm going to address the issue of the hour for us as a church and as a culture. But I want you to know it's in alignment with the series that God had put in our hearts months ago that not only are we to believe that God is with us, we're also to believe that God is for the people in our community, that he cares about the world around us, and we're meant to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. Can I get an amen to that? The title of today's message is this, Faith Bigger Than Fear. Faith Bigger Than Fear. As we've looked at this past week, what a week, Right? I mean, think about it. As day by day went by, we went from watching on the news to the other side of the world, and it started in China and South Korea and Italy. All the things that seem to be somewhere else now have come to everyone's front doorstep. And uh, it a little bit reminds me of the time of the believers when Peter in 1 Peter 5 said this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. We're not alone in this, that we are actually joining with people from all over the world. Every person on the planet is literally dealing with the same thing at the same time. Isn't that amazing? And uh, as we moved into it, I want you to know that uh, I'm not ignoring what's happening. In fact, I don't want you to ignore what's happening. A virus has hit the land, hit the globe, and uh, public health officials are telling us to do certain things with it. I'm not ignoring that. I'm actually acknowledging you're not the only one feeling what you feel. I'm not the only one that's feeling what I feel. People everywhere are dealing with it. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget Wednesday night as I was driving home and I got a call from my son. He said, Dad, they canceled the whole NBA season. And we're like, no, you know. And uh, we couldn't believe that this was happening. There was changes happening. My wife was all super excited about it. And, uh, and, uh, and then one thing rolled into the next. The very next day, uh, we, we heard from our president, and they were canceling travel um, to Europe. And then the governor on Friday gave a, an address to the state and asked for uh, large gatherings to be limited to 250 people or less. And leaders everywhere, just like me, and pastors at churches were like, what do we do? And many of you are like, what are you going to do, Pastor Nate? And uh, so all of us were having to make choices, and we're waiting for leadership above us or around us to kind of set the sails for what we needed to do. And we've been making adjustments almost hour by hour as we've moved along. And uh, I just want you to know that for me as a pastor, I'm not worried. 
I'm not worried about you. In fact, I'm excited about what God's word says today that will give us hope for the future. But I do want to give you also instruction about how we are to relate to the people around us. Perhaps you have uh, people or supervisors over you at work. You've got a mayor in your city. We all have a governor of our state. We've got a president of our country. We need to support the leaders in our land at this time. And, uh, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It's our responsibility to pray for, submit, and work with those who are in authority as a church. Can I get an amen to that? And so I want to encourage you, let's be partners. As a manual, I want to be a supporter of our community. And uh, I believe that the best truly is yet to come as long as we follow what God wants us to do. As a church, we're also going to have opportunity for changes in our schedule. So we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or midweek or next weekend. So be looking to our social media and our website. Be looking at all the resources that we have available out there because we're going to be posting daily what's coming, what we're going to do as a church, how we're going to handle things. And I'm not worried about it. I just I want to encourage you as a church, stay connected as best as you can. And we're going to, we're going to do our best. And listen, blessed is the one who is flexible, for when they are bent, they will not break. Can I get an amen to that? That's from 1 Natonian verse, chapter 3, verse 1. It's not in the Bible. It's just something that's a popular phrase out there. We want to be flexible and follow what we need to do and be flexible about the days. Without a doubt, though, this is a crisis season. This is not an ordinary day, and we can't approach it with ordinary thinking. We've got to approach it with God's kind of thinking. We need to, we, we need to follow what the Word of God has to say, and we need to be wise about what we do. And I'll tell you what, you find out what's in the cup when it gets tipped over, don't you? And I'm really been, there's been a lot of positive things. I'm really proud and of the positive care I'm seeing in a society, people in our church and people in our neighborhoods. There's been positive care and love and kindness shown by many. I want to give a big shout out to the medical community and law enforcement and the public sector. You guys are doing an amazing job and we support you wherever you are. We want to believe in you. And then the President of the United States called for this to be a national day of prayer today. And uh, not only, are, we're gonna pray anyways, but I think it's cool that even in the nation that he's calling us to pray. And that, you know what? I can say yes to that. I can pray. I don't need to critique who said it. I can say yes, I can pray. And uh, at the same time, all the good things are happening, there's an ugly side of human nature that can come out during times like these. As people are criticizing one another on social media, even Christians have spent wasted time critiquing other people's responses. And I want to challenge you, don't waste your time criticizing other people for their approach. Be responsible for your own actions as a believer and as a citizen. You know, you can go to any city in the world, any state, any country in the world, and you will not find any statues to a critic. That's not a heroic behavior to be a critic. Let's be people that pray and support those that are around us. Can I get an amen to that? And I want to draw your attention to what God's word shows us as a proper response to the turmoil of the moment. And I'm going to get there in a moment, but I want to take you, first of all, back, back in the day when I played high school football. And um, our team was the number one team in the state. We had gone undefeated up to the very last game of the regular season. I was an offensive lineman. We were very confident. We were overly confident to, 
to the point that we were cocky. And, uh, and I, I mean, we were like, we're going to beat anybody we play. And that last game of the season, we had to go two and a half hours north in the state of Michigan to a town called Traverse City. And uh, we were going to play Traverse City for our last game. We assumed we were going to win. We had a coach bus. They were putting us in a hotel overnight. It was like, hey, this is, this is man, this is the next level for us. And we're getting ready for the playoffs. And, and I remember as we pulled our bus into the stadium where we were going to play, this stadium was bigger than any stadium I had played in up to that point. It was very high. It had snowed up there already in the fall, and, and the snow was piled up on the, on the sidelines, and it was a different environment. And uh, as we got out there to, to warm up, it just felt different. And, uh, you know, prior to this moment, our confidence was super high. My confidence was really high. But then when we got to the game, uh, things kind of changed. I wasn't as confident anymore. And I remember getting down in my stance for the very first offensive play. And I went down in my stance like this, and I looked up, and the guy across from me had a beard. <laughs> and I thought, I'm playing grown men. This is the NFL or something. And I'm just a high schooler. And I might, you know, my voice goes a little bit higher a little bit. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not as confident. In that first half, my entire team was intimidated by the other team. So much so, and the environment changed that we weren't who we really were. We weren't playing like we really should have played. I remember we went into the locker room and our coach used a whole bunch of words that were not Christian words and talking to us and trying to get us back to who we were. And sure enough, we came out of the locker room, we changed and we won the game. But here's the, here's the thing I want you to consider. For all of us, we have now entered a week where all of a sudden our knees are knocking a little bit. We're looking up and the person across from us has a beard. Now, I'm not saying literally, you might be like married to one that has a beard. You don't need to be afraid of them. But I'm saying the, the, the life around us, everything we see when we turn on the TV or open up our social media or look on the phone or hear the latest announcement, and all of a sudden we're not as confident as we used to be. And I want you to hear what Paul said to Timothy. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He's not given us that spirit of timidity, fear and timidity. Uh, timidity is like being cut off from the power of what we could be. It's like unplugged from the wall. And I want to challenge you to consider that this is the church's finest hour. That even when others around you, perhaps at work or in, even in your extended family, when they're starting to shrivel up and they're not confident, this is the hour for the believer to step up and take on what God gives us. He gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Can I get an amen to that? So I want to dive into, I have two main texts today that I want to talk about. The first one is found in Acts chapter 12. I want you to turn there with me. In Acts chapter 12, I want you to see that we aren't the first Christians to face uncertainty. We're not the first ones. The early church had started off in Acts chapter 2 and it went big and viral and there was a, a movement of God and thousands of people were coming to faith and the gospel spread and the news was spreading. But then the church hit a spot in its story where now persecution was coming in. It was almost as if the sky was falling and it was getting dark outside and it felt like it was constricting and they were no longer going to have winds in their column. And look at Acts chapter 12 verse 1. It says, in about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James 
John's brother killed with the sword. It'd be like one of my staff members getting killed. Okay? And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. That'd be like me, the leader in the church. This took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I want you to see here in this story that the church, and I'm not talking about just the leader of the church, the whole church was in a place of fear. They were concerned. They didn't know what the outcome would be. There was uncertainty, and there was a threat. First, one person was already killed, and now another one was put in jail, probably to be killed. And then they're wondering, what does this mean for me? It's the same thing all of us go through when a crisis hits. We see what happens around us and above us, but the, the very next question is, what do I do about it, and what does it mean to me? Peter was the most prominent leader in the church. And here he is, he's threatened with a trial and death. And the church had to ask the same kind of questions that we're asking today. What does this mean for me, my family, our church? What happens next? Is this the beginning of the end? Let me ask you, how many of you thought that? You wondered, is this the beginning of this? Is this revelation? Is, you know, I want you to know, don't be afraid, for at the end of the story, Jesus is coming back for us. So there's really no thing to be fearful of. But what did the church do? Did they run to Target or Walmart and try to get as much toilet paper and water as they could? What did the church do in this story? Look at verse 5. It says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. They went to prayer. You have a choice of what you will do with the news and the information you have. You can take it to prayer. In fact, we read later in this chapter that they met in the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. In other words, they met in a house, not in a building. When this building isn't available, when church building we can't attend, that doesn't mean church is done. Hello. The church moves on. The church doesn't depend only on physical buildings. We can meet house to house. The kingdom of God it can go viral, neighborhood to neighborhood. Amen? I know I'm being, I need to be careful about that word viral, I guess. But here's what I want you to see. They met together. They met, in a sense, in a connect group. They were intentional about not being separated and alone. They still met with other believers, even in a smaller setting. And I want to challenge you over the next few weeks you need to be intentional about gathering with other believers to pray. You need to. Not just on a Sunday. Throughout a week, you need to gather together with other believers. It only takes one or two, and it could be virtual if it had to be. You can use FaceTime, Skype. You can use Zoom. You can use whatever tool that you want. Instagram has a tool that you can do it live. There's all kinds of modes and ways that we can meet, but do not separate from other believers. Can I get an amen to that? Not only can you do that, let me just throw a few extra things into here, but as believers right now, as a church in our culture, as people are pulling in, we can run errands for the elderly. We can donate food to pantries. We can check in with friends who deal with anxiety. How many know some friends that have anxiety? And when they're under anxiety attacks and those kind of things, we need to not let them just shrivel up and go away. We need to check in on them. 
that you might need to make a little note to yourself of who you need to text or call even after the service. We need to organize support for single parents. Some of them are going to need to go to work and schools are closing and they, what are they going to do about it? Maybe you have the ability to take care of their kids. You need to notice the people who are disconnected and need a phone call. So all this is going on. The believers, back to Acts chapter 12, they go to prayer and they earnestly pray. pray. It's not a quick prayer, it's earnest prayer. It's probably multiple days and they're praying earnestly. Your prayers matter. James says that they're effective. God answers those prayers and he will do things supernaturally. On the other side of the story is Peter. Peter is still in prison while they're praying. And something happens in Peter's story. And I want you to catch that it's not aimless or worthless prayer that we have. On the other side of our story might be our family. It might be the local hospital. It might be medical professionals. It might be the law enforcement. It might be the government making decisions. It might be the fearful person we're praying for. It might be your grandkids, your kids. It might be somebody around you in your neighborhood. But there's somebody on the other side of your prayer. For the church, it was Peter. Look what happened with Peter in verse number six. It says this. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep and fastened with Two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. And then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. And now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. Now, this is interesting because an angel is sent in to that space where the other believers could not go. And I believe that angels are real. So when we begin to pray for other spaces, God sends his angels to do his work. Now, we don't talk a lot about angels in church, so I'm excited to talk about it this week. Angels are real. They're messengers of God. They were present at the foundation of the world and at the birth of Jesus. They're God's ministers who serve quickly and fervently, and they control sometimes forces of nature, and you can see that in Revelation chapter 7, and they bring judgment upon God's enemies. An angel rolled the stone away from the tomb at the time of the resurrection in Matthew 28, and two angels announced his ascension in Acts chapter 1. They watched over the affairs of the redeemed in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, 11, 10, 1 Timothy 5, 21. This is my point. You may not see them, but they are there. And finally, what happens is, is Peter is an angel who gets him out of prison. And eventually, he makes his way all the way to the house. Now, I'm going to end that part of the story. But I want to challenge you, when you're praying, and we're in a season where there's social distancing. We're supposed to have like six feet between us and other people. It's like the opposite of what we've been as a church for many years. Extroverted and give somebody a hug. It's especially challenging for some cultures. If you're an extrovert, you're having a really tough time. Introverts, it's nirvana right now, right? It's like awesome. But I want you to consider, yes, we need to practice social distancing for this season, but let's not practice supernatural distancing. In other words, our expectation that the supernatural can show up. We need God to move in supernatural ways. In reality, the early church practiced that. They practiced it 
in a way, I'm going to give you kind of a template, a script to run on, if you will, this week and in the coming weeks as you consider the fear of the age of how you can pray, how you can live. And I want you to look at Psalm 91. And I want to look at coming under the safety of the Lord by living out Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Okay, you turn in there. In Psalm 91, I'm going to take you verse by verse through here, and I want you to apply this to your life. In fact, I want you to take it with you notes-wise, if you can, this coming week as you face whatever challenges that you face. In Psalm 91, it begins in verse 1 with a statement. It could be as if a narrator were making a statement or a public spokesman were making a statement of truth. It says this, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Other versions will say those who hide under the shadow, those that come underneath. And literally, it's talking about the statement that people who live in the presence of God, they come underneath the Most High, which is a title for God that shows his supremacy. They have benefits if they come underneath him. They have shelter. So when we worry about those things that are outside, when we come underneath, something factually happens. We find shelter under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a shadow that casts over us. And we also find rest in that shadow. Many of you, maybe you can go to bed and go to sleep, but you don't wake up feeling rested. The promise of God is, according to Psalm 91, that when we go to bed and we hide underneath the shadow of the Almighty, He will give us true rest. He will restore us and give us strength for our next challenges that are around the corner. And friends, I'll tell you what, the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep, right? Sometimes we just need to go to bed and shut down the other things and remember that we're underneath. But really what's happening here is the same thing that Pastor Darren talked about last week in a great message. And if you didn't get it, you can go online because you're not watching sports this week. You can go watch old Emmanuel messages. But Pastor Darren utilized an umbrella. And that was the image of coming underneath. So when we come underneath the shadow of the Almighty, there's protection from things around us. If we're out from underneath that covering, then we are hit with those things that we didn't, wouldn't otherwise uh, underneath the umbrella. So here's my point today, that if you want rest, don't try to get it anywhere else. If you want peace, don't try to get it anywhere else. You can get it from the Almighty. In fact, I'm just going to leave this here. If I don't poke my eye out. And by the way, it's got the little manual logo on it. How about that? I love that. So there is a statement that we need to live underneath. The second part is verse 2. And this is a declaration. Okay? The declaration is this. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Now, what we have here is, the first was a statement by a narrator. This is a statement that I have to make. This is a statement that I have to make, that I have to declare. You know, there's a lot of declarations this week from the president and, and the governor and health officials. But what are you going to declare? What's going to come out of your mouth? To declare is to say out loud a statement about who you are, where you are, and where you put your trust. Who you are, where you are, and where you put your trust. 
What are you going to say about this? He alone, the scripture says, is my refuge. He's the only one that I'm going to go to. He alone is my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. In other words, it's a statement. It's a statement when you go through a week, and your mind is on all kinds of things. Where am I going to put my trust when the fear rises up? When the worry comes in, am I going to go and scroll a little bit more on Facebook? Am I going to keep reading other stories that, only, that aren't helping me? Am I going to continue to go into worry? Am I going to escape to the other triggers I have in my story? Things that kind of calm me. It's amazing to me that God is kind of kicking out some of those things that sometimes we go to. Shopping and, and going to sports and the other things. Those are no longer things that we can go to. So who should we go to? We should make a declaration out loud, a statement, I declare about the Lord. I want you to read that verse out loud with me. Can you do that? Verse 2. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. I trust him. It is our responsibility to trust him, but we gotta say it out loud. You gotta say it out loud. Turn to the person next to you and say, gotta say it out loud. You might wanna memorize that particular verse because that's something you need to go back to. It's exactly what is talked about in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I love that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You can't even trust yourself during these seasons. You've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to trust in him, and you can trust him. Let's go on to verse 3 of Psalm 91. It says, for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I love this. He'll protect you from deadly disease. If you trust him, this is what he does for you. And this is the equipment you need when you go out today or tomorrow into the public space. You can trust him, and as you do, he'll protect you, and he'll cover you. And then he gives a command. There's a command here of what we should not be doing in the middle of crisis. Okay? Verse 5. Do not, everybody said do not, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Don't fear at nighttime or the daytime. In other words, if you find yourself going there, get out of it. Walk yourself out of fear. You're like, well, how do I get out of fear? I'm, I'm worried, and I don't, I don't do this in my brain. Be, uh, go back to your declarations. Go back to those things that you are, because you can't think about two things at the same time. Move your mind away from the thing that it has been doing, and don't fear. Don't be afraid of the terrors by night, and don't dread the disease or the unknown or the possible. Don't give it space in your head. And then it says, if you hide yourself in God and reject fear. Then verse 7, though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not, what? Touch you. 
So there's, how many know that's one thought for everybody right now, everywhere on the planet. We're worried about, is it gonna touch us? And I want you to know, you don't need to live and worry about that. A thousand might have it happen around here, but it's not gonna touch you. You can walk in, free from the worry of that. And even if, let's say we know people that might be connected to do a manual family member at some point in the journey, or you have pe people that you know that they got the virus. You know what? We still need to minister to those people. They need to not feel ostracized, right? But you don't need to worry because even if you got a virus, you're not going to die because we believe in a God who heals. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. So you don't need to live in the fear of those things. And this is what Psalm 91 is talking about. And then he says this, fix your eyes on the right things, okay? Verse 8, just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home. There's a big if here. That's why we got to keep coming up underneath the umbrella. we got to keep making the Most High our shelter. If we do, no evil will conquer us and no plague will come near your home. And then God takes over. And this is what I love. For he will order his what? His angels to protect you wherever you go. You gotta go to work this week, his angels are gonna go with you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. God rescues those who love him. And when he calls, when they call, he answers. This is really important for me, church, because I realize that as we move forward, some of us need to grow in our faith. All of us need to grow in our faith, begin to believe that God actually hears your call, your voice. And you and I need to move closer to trusting God in every area of our life and to declare those things which are true and reject the fear that is around us. That's not ignorance. We still support the leaders of our land. We still wash our hands. Come on, somebody. We're going to be wise about how we handle our lives, but we will not live in fear. We will be those that are joining with all of the believers of history who had no fear, but they had faith. And they didn't walk by sight. They walked by faith. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So we don't even have to go by what we see. We go by things that are beyond what we see. And we trust in him. And we can trust him. And this is my, my great cry to you as your shepherd, as your pastor. Trust in the Lord. He can walk you through this. He can walk. It doesn't matter what the crisis is. I'm not even talking about uh, the coronavirus only. I'm talking about whatever crisis you're going, you can trust him. And I've got a little statement. I don't even sure who wrote it originally called You Can Trust Him. It's almost like a song I will sing to myself over time. 
And I've read it a couple times over the years in Emmanuel, but I felt like when I was going through Psalm 91 that I wanted to read it again to you as a church. It's called You Can Trust Him. God is the one who made us. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament it shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm trying to tell you, church, you can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from throwing out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. I'm trying to tell you, church, you can trust him. He does not have to to call for help and you can't confuse him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He's august and he's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature, the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. I'm trying to tell you, church, you you can trust him. He's the one and the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. He can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I'm trying to tell you, church, you can trust him. He is the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. I'm trying to tell you, church, you can trust him. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of heroes, the leader of legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords you can trust him his office is manifold his promise is sure his light is matchless his goodness is limitless his mercy is everlasting his love never changes his word is enough his grace is sufficient his reign is righteousness his yoke is easy and his burden is light I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. Come on, somebody. He's God. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't keep find any fault in him, and the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't 
couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. There was nobody before him and there'll never be anybody after him. He had no predecessor, he'll have no successor. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. I'm trying to tell you church, you can trust him. Come on, give him praise today. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.